This is a Broad Pods production. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio On The Go, another cracking show full of wonderful women and amazing stories and things to make you feel good. Joe and Nellie Thomas are hosting this episode and their guests are writer Catherine Devney. She's got a memoir called True North and she really taps into the ideas of things ending when it comes to relationships and how we need to embrace that. Chelsea Bonner is the CEO and founder of Bella Management and she is behind Australia's first plus-sized catwalk show at Australian Fashion Week. Joe and Nellie are talking about how to have a positive relationship with yourself while living with a chronic illness when they talk to Michelle Irving. They're also talking about Nellie's experience with post-lockdown plane travel and the very big question for many, many people, are screen time rules a load of BS? Hello and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and grinning next to me here is the delightful <laughs> Nellie Thomas. Well, it's was so just, awesome to have you, doll. Jojo, I was just thinking we don't dance like we used to. No. God, I love that song. I do too. Isn't it beautiful? Bro, who is that artist again? Oh my gosh. That singer. Oh, she's the beautiful Cleo and uh, she performs under the name Medley. So go oh, look her up. Her work her is just up. fabulous. Like, follow, all the things. All the yeah, things. we do love it. And she was very kind to let us use that song. Yeah, it's so, beautiful. Yeah, love, love, love. Hey, here we are for Broad Radio again. Nellie Thomas, comedian, writer. Awesome to have you next to me. And we've all already been giggling along. It's school holidays, so if you are juggling... <laughs> That nightmare, <laughs> uh, we're thinking of you because let yeah. me tell you, I'm very happy to be working yeah. out of home today. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I sort of feel a bit jelly of you in general because you work out of the home a lot more than I do, mm. but school holidays does exacerbate that feeling of um, Alcatraz. Well, but just the guilt because when I work from mm. home, I have work to do, but that means my daughter is on the screen literally an entire day Yeah, because I'm not engaging with her. Mate, she's loving it. <laughs> She's, she's just loving it sick. <laughs> but it's terrible parenting, apparently. You know You're supposed what? to be out doing activities and all that sort of stuff. I grew up on, you know, F Troop and a country practice mm. and multiple hours of screen a day. And I'm bloody fantastic. Look at you now. Look at me now. You've never looked back. Are you a rewatcher of, uh, of shows? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, me yeah. too. I find that very comforting if I love a series, especially yeah. in COVID times, just to go, I don't need anything new. I'm just going to re-watch whatever it is. Well, do you know, I think it's because otherwise you spend as much time scrolling yes. through Netflix, through Stan, through Disney. Mm. You could have watched an entire series mm. in that time. In the scroll- in and the you've scroll- got RSI time. by the end of it. So I might as well go back to Friends. <laughs> yeah. It never fails. Is that what you go back to? Always. Always, because mm. it's a little comfort thing. I love it. I go back to the West Wing. That says a lot about do both you? of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's How not that, that hardcore. Relaxing? Well, I've got a degree in politics. Oh, lardy does. You know, well, it hasn't done any good. <laughs> oh, like, but you know, I like that stuff. That's like a name drop. I got a degree in politics and gender studies. Are you going to throw that in? I do as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
look at me with a drama and theatre oh. studies degree. Where has that got me? Well, look, and we're in the same place. It's true. So, you know, mm. I don't consider that a name drop, but sure, let's okay. take it. So how's your school holidays going? Oh, look, mixed. I mean, I tried to do a – we're not post-COVID, but I don't know what to say. You know, post-restriction holiday. Mm. So the first holiday we've done in a couple of years. And I've got two kids, but I just took the teenager. I thought mum and teen time. Gorgeous. Her and I will go to Sydney, we'll stay in a nice oh. hotel, there'll be a buffet breakfast, there'll be a musical, and Jetstar cancelled our flight. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah, mate. With how much notice? A couple of hours. Oh, jeez. Yeah, a couple thanks, of hours. Thanks yeah. for that. Yeah, so that was really relaxing. Oh, heartbreaking. <laughs> Did you get there? We did get there. We missed numerous activities and the first night and they wouldn't refund the hotel, but don't get me started on that. But (sighs) the most difficult part of it, I think, was, you know, for lots of people, including my teenager, she was really anxious to go because Mm. we haven't been doing this stuff. Like we have been sort of de-skilled a little bit in terms of, you know, venturing outside, not just our house, but in this case, outside our state and going to the airport and the airport was full on and blah, blah, blah. So... That was the difficult part, was kind of managing my anxiety and her anxiety and the disappointment. Yeah. Um, but we got there in the end. We saw 9 to 5, which I highly recommend. I've heard it's amazing. It was absolutely fabulous. Casey Donovan's a queen. Eddie Perfect, of course. We had nice meals. You know, oh, I'm glad lovely. we did it. Yes. Yeah, but it was tricky. Well, you have a lot less guilt than I do at this school holidays, really. Um, oh, we took my daughter to the dog beach. We've done something. That's lovely. Yeah, went actually went and saw an amazing exhibition at the National uh, NGV in Melbourne, the queer exhibition. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. So good. All right, I've oh, got to put amazing. that on the list. You got to check that Can out. Can I yeah. assuage your screen guilt a little bit, mm. or at least complicate the idea? So, there's a fabulous woman called Christy Forbes who I. And part of her support network, because I have an autistic child and she's an autistic um, advocate. And in short, she talks about the calming effects of screen time for a lot of neurodivergent kids. Mm -hmm. And she says, screen time rules were not made for our kids. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an assumption in the screen time rules of a quote unquote normal child, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, Usually, frankly, a middle class white able-bodied whatever all the things child and that is just not all children well also you know when people say oh when we were growing up in the 80s you know we were always out on our bike and we were playing in the street till dark and all that sort of idyllic notion (laughs) of what our youth was right if we had youtube as if we wouldn't have been inside 24 7 but also i'm sure you as soon as we got a vhs player which one of my uncles gave us we watched movies, you know, whenever yeah. we were able to. Like, yeah. we watched hours of TV a day. Yeah, the, I'm sorry. The only reason I wasn't doing that was because my mom wouldn't let us watch what we wanted to watch. Because the <laughs> yeah, parents right. were the boss of the telly. Right. You know, like, you watched yes. what they watched. Oh, it wasn't totally. like you got to choose as a kid. I watched Prisoner, mate. <laughs> Seriously, as a primary school kid, it was my favourite thing ever. Yes. So, yeah, this sort of, you know, the good old days weren't that good. No. Like, for real. Mm. But, I mean, obviously there's a line. Like, you don't want 15 hours of screen time a day, all day on school holidays. (laughs) I mean, you probably do. But, you know, this idea that kids are going to do half an hour a day, an hour a day, I mean, I just don't know anyone who actually applies that. It's such, you know, BS, I think. Well, even if, right, on the days where I'm like, okay, work's away, it's you and me today, babe, um, we have activities planned. They last an hour. Yeah, that's right. The days are long. That's right. <laughs> yeah. so long. But what do you do at night when you're tired? You watch the telly. You watch telly. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's got to calm their farm mm. a bit on this stuff, I reckon. Mm. You've been out seeing comedy festival shows. Oh, I have. It's, it's, I mean, I know people keep saying this, but I think it's worth repeating. You know, as a live performer, the last couple of years have been diabolical, mm. frankly. And it's so delightful. I'm not doing a show in the comedy festival, but that's even more delightful for me because I can actually go and watch stuff and enjoy it and not be thinking about my own, you know, (laughs) nightmare existence. (laughs) So I've been going and seeing stuff and it's just really lovely to be in an audience. It's lovely to see my colleagues working. It's really nice to feel a bit normal. Um, I mean, you still sit there kind of going, who's got a mask on? Is anyone coughing? Mm. You know, all of that kind of stuff. But it's just... I've just found it so uplifting, even just being in the city. Yes. 
That's you great. know, my I, I mean, um, do you want me to mention a couple of sure, shows? Sure. A couple of recommends. Yeah. So one of my favourites is um, Tina Del Twist Caravan in the Sky, which is Wes Snelling mm. um, doing a beautiful show. He does a cabaret character called Tina Del, Del Twist. So a mixture of song and story and stand up. Beautiful, beautiful show. Loved Ursula Carlson, of course, which, you know, everyone will know who Ursula is. Damien Callan and show um, double feature. Oh, I actually cried. Oh, you know he when you is go, an amazing oh, mate, writer, he's just, isn't he? It's so beautiful. It's a tribute to his parents and oh. a kind of reimagining of, you know how you forget, my kids have done this, they forget that you forget your parents had a life before you existed. Mm. He's gone back through their diaries and recreated their life and there's a couple of moments I mean this doesn't sound like a good sell sorry Damo but there's a couple of moments he cries oh wow you know and it's just beautiful um what else have I seen I'm gonna say double feature is a ripping title for isn't a it? show about your parents isn't it and it's so wonderful because he actually has been able to document his mum's suitors Right, so via her diaries, all of the men that she could have married. Wow. And he kind of does, I won't give too much away, but he, he does a table of, mm. of men and sort of, you know, short and long odds <laughs> of, wow. of what could happen. And I just absolutely adored it. But just yeah. being in the city, mm. seeing people happy. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, I normally go to bed at nine. Like I'm an old nana, but I feel like invigorated. Yeah. I really do. I do recommend going out. I've seen Kirsty Wiebeck, Silver Linings. Yeah. Beautiful. Loved As it. I said in my little, tw- uh, you got to do a, a, you know, a Twitter yeah. review. And in yeah. my Twitter review was that this is a comedian at the top of her game. Like she's oh, sharp. Oh, Kirsty's amazing. I've seen all Absolutely of her shows. Sharp. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, double Feature, love that as a title for a yes. comedy festival show. Silver Linings for yes. Kirsty. That works, you know, because yes. you instantly go, yeah, I'm, I'm in for a good time there. Um, <laughs> what? Tell me a title of a comedy festival show you've done. Oh, so you and I have discussed this before. One of the difficult, this is like showing you how to make sausages, but Mm. you have to give your title a good six months before you do the show. Yes. And you've never written the show Mm. six months before you do it. So it it can resemble, like have no resemblance to the actual show. Um, What have I done? Probably my favourite. I've done Family Ties. Mm Yeah. and then I had to, it was a loose sort of pun on the TV show, yes. Family Ties. And it yeah. was me imagining how I might have turned out differently under three different circumstances. And I played oh. different characters. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, probably. No, you tell me yours while I'm thinking. Oh, well, I, I the last uh, solo show I did was called Prettier in Person. Yes. <laughs> Every single person used to say to me when they'd meet me, really? oh, you're so much prettier in person. And I'd be like, oh. well, I work on radio, so how do you actually know that? Do you know how many um, times someone has said to me, thinking that I'm going to enjoy it as a compliment, oh, geez, you're not as fat as you look on TV. <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you. Anyway, naming something can be tricky. I've yes. often thought about what I would name my memoirs, which I have not written right. yet and probably what's will your, never. What's your front runner title? Um, hit and Miss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bring it up because I have just finished reading and we have to introduce our first guest because she's amazing and we don't want to run out of time with her. But um, I've just finished reading True North. It is a memoir by Catherine Devaney and I absolutely loved it, could not put it down. She joins us now. Hi, Catherine. Hi. 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 It's great to be here. Oh, it's so lovely to see you and thank you for your memoir. It was just, it is so beautifully written and um, it is, I mean, it is about the end of your 17-year relationship. 70-year, <laughs> that would be quite a thing. 17-year relationship with a father of your children, but it's really heartwarming and, and beautiful and sort of uplifting as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually, it's it's funny the way the blurb goes because I actually think it's got uh, more to do with class than anything else. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Mm. I, I do agree. And, also- and I think you don't. You don't hear enough written about class in Australia and I don't think I've read or come across anything written about class by a woman and particularly by a woman who grew up uh, poor. Normally uh, memoirs are around uh, gender or uh, race but very rarely about um, class. It's interesting with a book though I think it probably is a sign of a good 
book, uh, particularly as a writer, this is my 10th. So the first nine are the, nine are the hardest, um, which is not true. <laughs> They've all been a delight. But <laughs> when you write a book, so I originally thought that the book was about, um, you know, when I split up with Mars, so Mars and I were together for 17 years. And when I when we split up, it was so full on and it was so exhausting. And I literally felt like I was dying and giving birth to myself every week. It was the worst thing I've ever been through. And I have, you know, had cancer, given birth without drugs and also worked for Channel 7. So it was, <laughs> you know, right up there. But so what what was weird for me is like I had little kids and um, I would be talking to people at a party and they'd generally be people my age. I'm 53 now. And I'd go, oh, yeah, you know, my partner and I just split up or whatever. And they'd be going, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that about 20 years ago when I had kids that age too. And I go, well, you know, what, what, how'd you do it? What happened? And they go, oh, we're fine now and we all have Christmases together. But no one ever showed me the stitching. Like I was, how, how did I get here? You know, when do you know it's bad enough to leave? You know, what happens mm, next? How mm. do you feel? And so I think that originally when I set up to write it, because I, I, I've probably been playing with it for about 10 years and I may have written about a million words to get it down to what I wanted. And I am a huge memoir buff. It's basically the only genre I read or genre, as Channel 7 says it. <laughs> uh, it's, the only, it's the only genre I read. And... I think that, uh, well, I know what that a memoir doesn't have to be like factually accurate. It has to be a true artistic representation, and a memoir only works as if it, if it has a, a a strong theme. So I thought that the theme was basically explaining the all of the factors that get you into a relationship and the kind of relationship you end up in, why you stay, um, why things go pear shaped what makes you stay there while you get so exhausted and you just kind of run out of everything that you've got, energy, love, patience, perspective, then how, you know, why you leave and the courage it takes. But that's what I thought it was about. And it was, I gave the memoir, I don't um, get an advance. I just give the big lumps of manuscript to my it, my publisher and I say, you know, please consider. And I gave it to them just before COVID. And the idea was that it was going to come out basically a year later. And then it was because of COVID, it was pushed out to last July. And then um, the wheels fell off with the editor who was working on it, who was somebody who I really wanted to keep on it. And, and she said, I just, I'm not going to get it finished. There's a million things that were happening, some COVID related, some not COVID related. And she said, I can pass this on to another editor, but I really wanted to work on this book. And I love this book. And I said, and she said, every fibre of my being says, let's hold off until March 2022. And because of, and and I have to say, uh, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, of course, people are more important than books. But I was really, really quite um, upset about it because the year before I'd had to postpone, then cancel, then dismantle 30, you know, shows and performances mm. that I'd put together. And so last year, the second year of COVID, I said, right, I'm going to try and run three of my writing workshops, no, uh, retreats. So they're my weekend retreats mm. and everything else is going to be on Zoom. But at least I'll have the book out in the middle of the year. And I thought the worst thing that could happen would be that I would be launching by Zoom and not in real life. So um, it was pushed back until now. And there's no God. You know, I'm not into the universe or any of that kind of stuff. But one of the, the best thing that possibly happened, like in my life, but to the book, was that my mum died about this time last year. So because mum died... Uh, when we were about to go to print with this in January and get it all together, one of the a couple of the people who read it in at Black Ink said, "Oh, it ends a bit abruptly," and they had ideas about how it should finish. And my partner and I had something called a love party because I'm, you know, for, uh, totally against marriage. We had a, a basically a wedding, but with no God, no government. And they said, "Why don't we finish with that?" And I thought every fibre of my being says, "No." no, that's too tied up with a bow. And I just didn't, it just didn't feel right. And I said, look, I, I've got, I've got an idea of how to end it, but I don't know whether I'm a good enough writer to do it. But if you give me a, a week, I want to give it a crack. So I ended with um, a chapter about the death of my mum, which not only made the book, I think, three times better, but changed what I thought it was. It wasn't about 
you know, to me, it's not about breaking up or even hard times. It's about the fact that we're constantly splitting up with parts of ourselves, where we live, mm. how we see ourselves, mm. our body, what we eat, our values, and that we need to normalise some splitting up with we quite know oh yeah we're changing jobs I'm changing haircuts I'm a vegan now you know I'm you know I'm mm. I'm gender fluid whatever that is and some things we're better at coping at than others you know mm. oh I don't believe I don't you know barrack for that football team anymore I'm an atheist now you know or I wasn't going to have kids and I'm going to have kids now you know whatever that is I just want to pick up on that because I think um you know it's it's a really interesting challenge to the predominant narrative about divorce or separation you know and I think as you know like I've also come out of a long-term relationship and one of the things that I am really trying to challenge in my public life and personal life is the idea that that relationship was a failure or that our um, family is broken we're the same family in two different houses and frankly we're all happier so can you oh, speak yeah, to that? I totally agree. Oh, I'd love to. So, Nellie, if we lived until the, the, some things are so sticky, you know, and the way I said that we're used to splitting up with some things, I just want mm. to just end that with saying we need to normalise splitting up with members of our family, blood or, you know, by relationship. We need to normalise splitting up with, you know, children, siblings, parents, partners. The idea that it is somehow a failure is insane and it shows how insidious all of the pressure is for people to stay in particularly heterosexual and particularly nuclear families. It benefits the patriarchy, capitalism and the economy by doing this. If we lived until we were 300, we wouldn't assume that relationships were forever. it's it's so bizarre. Like you don't think about changing where you live or the job that you have or your occupation as any, or even the way you eat, you know, if you decide mm, to become mm. a vegan or you decide to go back to meat. The idea that um, a 17 relationship, a 17 year relationship isn't somehow a failure is bonkers. Mm. One of the, like you just use the term divorce separate. When you go through forms, it's really common to say, you know, marital status, which I can tell you right now for free, they don't need. Mm. They do Mm. not need a marital status. What they need is an ex of kin. So marital status are things like divorced. How is something that you used to be a marital status? Divorced, separated, um, you know, like it's just bizarre that they are even terms that we use for people, things that they used to be. It's a relic. It's a relic's a perfect example. Yeah, Joe. But Catherine, well, Catherine, I think having read your book and and I I was so moved by the notion that you were choosing to be happy. And I think a lot of the reason that we struggle with separation from a relationship is that we're not entitled to say, hey, I'm not happy and I'm going to make a choice that makes me happy. Mm. Because everybody goes, oh, but you're going to, what about other people that are unhappy because you've done that? But it's Mm. my life. Let me Mm. choose what's going to make me happy. That is coming from a really privileged position and I totally agree because I'm coming from a privileged position too, even though, you know, I was brought up working class I have no savings, no super, no boss, no job, no worries. But it's, we are so trapped into the idea of, you know, the family and relationships by uh, financial constraints, social constraints, familial constraints. They don't make it easy, Joe and Nelly, for us to split up. They do not. Well, there is I no know. reason that we all can't have safe housing and there can't be a universal basic income. I read something the other day. If Jeff Bezos spread all of his money out amongst all the people in the world, we'd have all over a million dollars each, including newborn babies. So the when, and I, I wrote about this in the book, you know, when Miles and I split up, and I just want to, people, and particularly, you know, and it was always mums at the school and they didn't necessarily know me very well and they would sidle up and they basically said, how bad does it need to be mm. to leave? Because the sunk costs of the relationship, it's just like even if it's got down to only 1% good, you don't know if it's ever going to jump back to 98% good or if it's 1% good, if it's going to, if you're going to leave that relationship and then it's going to go to 0% good. Mm. So it's not simply an emotional thing. It's a financial thing. You've, you've set up a corporation. Mm. It's, 
um, staggering and alarming and revealing how much society puts on us to stay in poor yeah. relationships when we really, you know, there is no one benefits on a personal level, but the structures that benefit are religion, the patriarchy, mm. the economy and capitalism. So, um, you know, you said the choice to be happy. Well, um, I mean, I so, guess like I, I totally my... agree with you. I, I do. I, I absolutely understand and acknowledge that it is a privilege to be able to leave a relationship and that many, many people yeah, can't. Yeah. I, I totally be, agree Joe. with you. It shouldn't right? be. I guess I'm be. speaking, I'm speaking from you grew up in a Catholic family. I grew up in a Protestant Christian family. Like, you know, my parents mm. were missionaries, that kind of sort of uh, indoctrination. And it wasn't, mm. it wasn't encouraged for us to make choices that were right for us. It oh, just wasn't also, encouraged. Well, it's also completely <laughs> countercultural, quite frankly, even in 2022, for a woman to say, it's enough for me to leave because this doesn't serve me. People want, mm. he cheated, mm. he was abusive. Yeah. He, yes. It's not enough yeah. to just go, yeah, it just wasn't working for me. Yep. Guess I, what? The, the, That's enough. It, there's <laughs> you know? so much there. I just, yeah. I, I don't even know where to start. Mm. And... I've had to live that recently with a few people close to me. Basically, they wanted to find, you know, somebody shagging in a bed, you know, their mm. partner shagging in a bed or blood and bruises, like yep. even with the notion of what domestic, what violence looks like within mm. a relationship. Mm. And I was so informed and there, was, there have been so many people and I'm so delighted that this book has landed the way that I want it to. And I am literally overwhelmed um, all day by people saying, this spoke to me so I feel seen and I feel held and they use the mm. word gift a lot. And a lot of people say to me, I'm so glad the book landed exactly the way that I wanted to. I mean, I am a great, you know, recipient of amazing art and when you are the writer, you're also the reader. When you are the artist, you're also the viewer. And so to be able to be on this side of the artistic transaction mm. is as beautiful as sitting there and finishing a book and going, oh, this was amazing. I never want it to end. So it just it just feels like the same transaction, just instead of being a top, I'm being a bottom or vice versa. <laughs> I, and a lot of people will say, well, that's the truth, you know. Yeah, and a yeah. lot of people will say to me, you know, we grew up in really similar backgrounds. I don't know why I didn't see what you saw. I didn't make the decisions. And to be frank, the whole notion of family and relationship, I only saw such terrible terrible examples of these things while they were still trying to sign me up to this rewards program i just went why on earth would i buy into mm. this rewards program when i could have a life like you or you mm. or you mm. or you or you mm. so there was nothing perhaps if i had grown up and there seemed to be some rewards for me you know being a member of the kind of family like in the castle you know we're poor but you know we all mm. break for the mm. you know this football team and every christmas dad gets drunk and sings old irish songs we i, I had the worst of the truth of poverty and the worst of the narrative of poverty the worst of the truth of marriage relationships gender ideas and, you know, and the, both the truth and the narrative. So mm. I just kept questioning. But in saying that, not all the members of my family did. Actually, I think it's fair to say that I'm the only one who did question. I just mm. went, this sucks. And I have spent, you know, I'm bipolar. I'm dyslexic. I'm not, I, I really don't have many great skills. But my skills are optimism and seeing the truth. And oh, and I Deb, I'm kept... sorry, but I'm going to um, I'm going to step in there and challenge that idea that you don't have many great skills. I think we have to wrap mm, up. Yes, but I do want to say, as someone with also a working class background and who was not destined to be a writer in the same way that you are, it is actually really important for people to see someone like you write and someone, especially mm, with the yes, challenges I of do. dyslexia and bipolar mm, as well, mm. it is yeah, yeah. really important for people to see that these are options that are available because those things are yes. not always apparent to us as kids, even now mm. in 2022. So bravo to you. Yeah. And and Marta, say, so firstly, um, the book is amazing. Do get I just buy loved it. it so much. Yes. And if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, I tell you what, you have oh, yes. you have got an encyclopedic yes. memory of she all does, of the things she? that we yeah. watch and we we watched and what we wore and the places we went. And I yeah. also grew up in the northern suburbs. So I was just like, yes, all of this was my yeah. childhood. And so I loved that. Um, but check out Catherine's 
uh, Gunner's workshops, all of the writing workshops. My sister did your workshop, actually, and all. And I've been one of the guest speakers at these, and I can tell you they're fantastic. So get on to those, especially if you think you might want to write. Yeah. And you think you don't have the confidence, or as Catherine would say, I'm going to do it. No, Mm. do it. Go and do the class. I think it's really beautiful that you empower others to to write, Catherine. Yeah. Well, there's um, uh, Nelly. Can't wait to have you back. I mean, COVID is just like we're only starting um, our get gunners again back in May, and they're a bit low. You know, people are not are reluctant. They want to do the Zoom ones and they want to mm. come to the weekends. But the idea of like a day in a room with people, but people mm. are warming up more to that. And I think that people are so unused to putting money into something and setting a date mm. aside. There is a um, Great saying by Toni Morrison, and I've got this in the front of my book, Use Your Words, which is the purpose of freedom is to free other people. And that's how I feel about um, writing. And I don't think it's something that I just want to do and I want to have my books and I want to go, yeah, I've got my Mm. books, but, you know, it's not for you. It's just the the platforming, the... The, the platforming of certain people in our history, whether it's art or politics or religion or whatever, has just been a way to discriminate and to uh, push mm. down other voices that um, uh, that it's not about needing to be heard. It, that we do need to hear them, but we want to hear them. I'm very, mm. very proud of the book. Um, thank you so much for having me. And um, it's all gorgeous. So you thank too, you, darling. All power all to you. Thanks all power so much, to you. Catherine. Thanks for coming. See you. Ciao. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I was very excited to read last week that uh, for the first time Australian Fashion Week are going to be hosting or they have scheduled a plus size parade and the woman behind the parade is Chelsea Bonner who is a size inclusive pioneer I'm going to say. She is the founder and CEO of Bella Management Um, and she joins us now. Hi there Chelsea. Hi Chelsea. Hi. How are you? Can I start the questions because I'm the plus size of the duo here. Okay. Let's be frank. Um, Chelsea, can I have two completely indulgent personal questions, right? First one is, is it too late for me to be a plus size model? (laughs) No, it's never too late. Great. Second one is, so I'm size 18. Where should I shop? Because I'm sick and tired of wearing old lady clothes that I sweat in, especially when I'm on stage. They're all yeah. white. What is with plus size clothing and synthetic fabric? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, we've got, I'm just thinking about just the designers, for instance, in the show that we're doing. Um, there's heaps of cottons and linens and so I don't know where you're shopping, but um, <laughs> I think. It's a good point. Where are you shopping? <laughs> oh, you're putting this back on me. Thank you so much. All right. Well, give me some names. Come on. Give me some designers. Um, well, for instance, um, we've got 710 Sundays and Body Women, Rolling Harlow. Harlow do beautiful linens, actually. I was just um, touching all of their fabrics the other day. Um, Kerry has got a particular eye for fabrics. And, um, yeah, so, and then there's, you know, some really beautiful labels like Noble Kind, which is a startup in Melbourne, which is just beautiful, beautiful fabrics and beautiful tailoring. They're, they're, they are out there and they're around. Um, if you prefer sort of a boho feel, maybe Vagary, um, who's also in the show. 
So, yeah, yeah I don't know. Because you I mean, know, yeah. Chelsea, you know this is a thing, right? Like this is a thing. Yeah. You can search for that one of the difficult things about being plus size is trying to find brands that make clothes that suit your personality as well as your body. Yeah. I think this is the problem. There's not as broad a range of yes. clothing. And, you know, people often say to me, why fashion? You know, why do I put sort of all of my um, activism and advocacy into fashion? And it's because um, fashion is the outward representation of how we feel inside. Yeah. And that's how we present to the world. So, yeah. Um, and I don't you know, feel like a ray on top. <laughs> Yeah. You don't feel like a ray on top. That's not how I we'll feel. Sort you we'll sort you out. You know what I'm saying? But I, yeah, I really, I, I love what I you're hear. saying there, Chelsea, because, and I love that you direct your advocacy and activism towards fashion because yes. for so long there have been gatekeepers that have excluded mm. not yes. just people who are of different size and shape, but people who are a different age, yep. people yep. who are differently bodied, able-bodied. Yep. It's, it's, it's an industry that, you know, we're drawn to as I love fashion, mm. but I don't see myself in it. And I love that you yes. are there uh, assisting all of us <laughs> to maybe feel like it's more accessible. <laughs> and we've all got to buy clothes. Mm. Yes. Well, that's, you know, fundamentally we all have to buy clothing, but then fashion's more than that. You know, mm. there's there's places you can go to buy clothes if you are just looking to wear something today um, that covers your private bits. You know, there's places you can go for that. <laughs> but, you know, as I was saying before, fashion really is personality. It's, yeah, it is. it's um, we show up the way we want people to see us, the way we want to be, the way our personality is uh, inside, you know, and we do that through fashion, through the prints we choose, through the jewellery we choose, through the shoes we choose through the makeup we choose, you know, mm-hmm. that that's why it's so important. And, yeah, a lot of people miss that connection, particularly men, I have to say, yeah. you know, uh, really miss the emotional connection to fashion and beauty for women. Yeah, and um, the creative expression. Right. I'm seeing it with my daughter since yeah. she was since she could walk, she's dressed herself. Yeah. And mm-hmm. her creative expression in what she chooses to put on is mm-hmm. a joy yeah. to behold. Yeah. Can you please speak to this incredible milestone that, Australian Fashion Week are running this parade that um, yes. you are behind and you say even five years ago this wouldn't have happened. Why is that? No, there has been an, a massive shift over the last couple of years. It's, it's. Um, I think it's the, you know, this new generation of sort of 18 to 25-year-old women who listen to us when we said to them, please don't let anyone put you in a box. Don't let anybody judge you by the size of your body. They understand more about genetics than ever before. They understand, they just understand more about the world and they really hate being sold to. I mean, I hate being sold to, um, but they really don't, you know, they, they're not tolerating anymore being told who they are because of the body that they were born into. Yeah. And um, where, you know, in our generation, and I'm, you know, I'm 48, so I'm a little bit older, we were told that we were stupid, we were lazy, we would never get ahead in life, we were not worthy of beautiful things, we were not worthy of bothering to buy nice fashion because nobody would care anyway uh, unless we were thin. And so... You know, there's not just me, there's a lot of us that have been fighting against that for 20 or more years. And this younger generation now, you know, my niece particularly, she's, you know, she's a curve girl herself. She's um, tall and, and probably a size 14 or so. She's extremely fit and she she wears her short shorts and she wears her, you know, spaghetti strap dresses and things that I would just never have had the courage to wear at that age because of the amount of shaming. Oh, it Chelsea, just, it's it's yeah. so true. So my daughter's 14 and yep. I see her friends of all different shapes and sizes and, you know, some yep. of them have got bellies and stretch marks mm. and all the things mm. that, you know, happen when you go through puberty and they're in yep. bikinis yep. and they've yep. got their little short shorts. I would have had a giant Fido Dido T-shirt. <laughs> yes. I would have yep. been begging to not go to the swimming carnival. I would have yeah. been on a yeah. diet of tab every other day. Yep. The amount of yeah. shame Ish. and damage that I did to my body and mind at that age, and I, I think it is, it's not it's not done, but it is changing. 
for sure it's changing for, it is because changing. of people like you, frankly. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago. Um, it was called Body Image Warrior. And it, I feel like it explained why I do what I do and why why we needed to change it and how hard the fight's been. Mm. But the great thing is that the you know everyone who's read it or or listened to somebody who's read it has changed and I I just love saying when my niece walks in with a little dress on I just cheer silently inside I want to hug her you know I get so excited but um for her it's just so normal but for Mm. for us for our generation um it's just a sense of pride when I see any anybody any Mm. woman's body anywhere and someone's just walking down the street wearing whatever the hell they want to wear I just am cheering inside all the time (laughs) even the fact they've got that phrase like I'll hear my daughter and her friends if someone does make some sort of comment kind of go we don't do fat shaming yeah, I love yeah. it. You know, we never yeah. had the phrase fat no. shaming. No. I was just ashamed. No. Do you know, and it is yes. remarkable. So we, my daughter's been watching Kath and Kim. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she loves it. It's amazing. Uh, but it then tipped over to a special that at some point someone had done where it was one of those clip shows where they were playing clips of Kath and Kim and had people commenting on the show. Mm. And it was people yeah. like Alex Perry and various other people coming. He stood out in my mind just because I love his clothes, right? But yeah. non-stop fat shaming. Non-stop oh, throughout. Like, yeah. All of them mm-hmm. were making comments mm. about how, you know, Kim had a muffin top and all this mm. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, I can't even believe mm. this is happening. My daughter switched off. She said, this is not, I can't, Good. I can't do Good that. Good girl. No. But yeah. so you, you've been around 20 years, Chelsea. You would have seen the damage yeah. that mm. happened. Well, long, longer, I, back in the ye olden days, I was uh, one of the first curve models in Australia. So um, before I opened Bella, I was very, very active uh, in the plus-size community and curve community. Um, back, you know, so probably more like 30 years I've been um, around for now, which is a bit mm. terrifying. So, so um, what, what kind of resistance have you faced then over the time? I mean, I think every kind of resistance that you can you can think of really, um, you know, it the, the fight to be acknowledged and to make what was so normalised, you know, fat shaming and, you have to be on a diet and the way you should look and and um, diet culture in general mm. was so overwhelming. Um, it was so normalised that you should be ashamed of yourself, that you deserve mm-hmm. to be ashamed of yourself. To unpick that for myself and then try to help unpick that for everybody else, not just on the ground level amongst mm. friends and family but in boardrooms, um, in keynote speeches to 500 male heads of marketing departments you know i mean to try to explain it through numbers through emotion through every Mm. every possible way you can attack this problem and break it down so that people can have you know what oprah calls the aha moment so Mm. that Mm. you know i can find a way to get to them so that they go oh that's why it's wrong and that's Mm. why we shouldn't be doing this or you know just have some understanding um, of basic genetics really i mean (laughs) Actually, can I pick up on that, Chelsea, because you've mentioned yeah. genetics a couple of times and I think one of the things, it's its actually happening very slowly, but one of the things we're starting to understand now, which anyone who's been fat understands, I look around and I go, oh, I look like all my aunties and I look like my <laughs> mum and my cousins mm-hmm. and whatever and we mm-hmm. all eat differently. But mm-hmm. there's still this persistent idea that I heard on the radio this morning someone talking about diabetes. It was a doctor and he said... <laughs> loving the dog mm. and he said yeah, oh sorry. i'm talking about type 1 diabetes not the one that's caused by lifestyle problems mm. in other words you know not the fatties who mm. overate and got themselves you know type 2 diabetes so there's still mm. this like combination of genes and lifestyle is still not mm-hmm. understood you know, we're still no, assuming you look at someone's body that's not size 10 and think they don't exercise and they overeat. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, it, it can't be further from the truth. And no. there's been so many studies done about it now. One of my closest friends had a mild heart attack last week. 
he's he's fine, but he is one of the fittest, healthiest human beings you will ever meet in your life. Loves triathlons. I don't. I think I might have seen George drink twice in twenty years, like to drunk point. Um, you know, never. He's always eaten the right things. Always done the right things. It's not. You know, it's of course there are things you can do to make your health better and everybody should do those things whatever whatever that is but as long as you're healthy then you know the rest of it is just genetics exactly like mm. i don't know i don't know how else to put it sorry billy yeah, we'll just... that's all right well chelsea um, i'm excited to see your parade yeah. and i'm excited that the australian fashion week have really embraced this i'm imagining there was a lot of work behind the scenes to get it up yes but I, again, I have to say, IMG events were really open to it. I was expecting, you know, I was sort of sweating going into the meeting, thinking, "Oh God, um, they're never going to let me do this." Uh, but they did. They just straight away. They didn't even bat an eyelid. Poor well, Chelsea. That's the I worst know. heckle ever, isn't it? That, that's <laughs> second only to the the little kid who oh, said thing. to David O'Doherty, "When will this get good?" <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea, Chelsea, we will. We can't wait to check out the the oh, parade. It's uh, I do. I believe that Australian Fashion Week is in May, so make sure that you do check it out. And of course, check out uh, Chelsea's book, Body Image Warrior, which is still available um, on the website. Body and Image thank you Warrior. so much for your advocacy. Yeah, thank you so much. As a plus size person with me. with daughters, thank you. Yeah, and I will say, there's been many people on our socials today yes. also have said the work that Chelsea Ooh. has done, Yay. as well as Taryn B- B- Bromford. Excuse me. Um, has been oh, liberating to so many. Yeah, incredible. So um, thanks so much. Good on you, girl. Chelsea, and all Thank the best you. with the parade. Sorry about Billy. She's going <laughs> to sleep now. <laughs> Broad Radio, talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere. Every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis? <laughs> We've got you covered. Broad Radio. Here for more. Well, Nelly, what often happens on this show yes. is that a theme forms, well, which I never ever kind of plan, but it tends to just fall into place. Today's the Nelly theme, mate. Like, <laughs> seriously, I'm looking at this running or it's just occurred to me. You've gone separation, you've gone plus size. Now we're going to talk chronic illness. This is like my whole life. Well, I do often plan my co-host yeah. for people that are going to. I like to put people in areas where they're going to sing. So I'll get you to sing at the end of the show as Appreciate well. Appreciate it. Um, but no, I think the theme that also is forming is around shame. Yeah. In a lot of Absolutely. ways. And so let's keep the theme going because I'm thrilled to welcome to Broad Radio a woman who is an advocate, mentor and coach for women who live with chronic illness and uh, she, as she describes herself, she is de-shaming chronic illness. Michelle, great to have you on Bro Radio. Can you tell us how you began uh, working in this area? What what made you decide I'm going to mentor women like this? Yeah, well, nobody expects to get chronic illness and certainly Mm. nobody expects to be a chronic illness mentor. What happened for me is that I live with two chronic illness conditions and through that process, I've had to navigate what I think of as the underworld of chronic illness. When you're bed bound, when you're, you know, really living with deep side effects from medication, when you're trying to work or maintain working while living with pain or brain fog or just the confusion and the emotional stress of living with chronic illness. So for me, I was really super clear that living with chronic illness did not mean that I couldn't be myself and that I was going to use the experience to really be the most empowered person I could be on the planet. And as I did that, I found ways to support my own emotional well-being. I found ways to have very, very difficult conversations with you know, my boss, with the organization I was working with, 
with family and friends, with what I think of as the unhelpful helpers who really want you to go to <laughs> yoga or drink green juice as if that will solve your chronic condition. And as I did that, I was able to navigate my way through chronic illness and actually deepen my sense of connection to myself, really expand my boundaries and be able to stand on what I think of as my very sacred ground. And so I had a job. I was working for the health department. I was running our, another business, Philosophy in the Pub, and women would come and talk to me about they would disclose their experience of breast cancer. They would disclose their experience of chronic fatigue. They would ask me to help them to use some of the tools about how they saw me and I would do that and then over time that's become my work and my business and one of the reasons for that is that 47% of Australians live with chronic illness and that's you know in the US that's 133 million Americans and it's actually quite normal mm. to live in a body and experience chronic illness. And so when we have this conversation and we see that this is actually around us, even if it's invisible chronic illness, then we can have a conversation about how to navigate it in a way that's supportive, in a way that is expanding, in a way that includes love, meaningful work, and in ways that work for us and our bodies. Mm. So, Michelle, I think, um, as I disclosed to you before, and it's a tricky one, this one, because I'm telling someone else's story, so I'm very conscious of not revealing too much detail. But my daughter was diagnosed with myalgic encephalomyelitis, which some of you, you obviously know, Michelle, is known commonly as chronic fatigue syndrome about six years ago. And the thing I've noticed entering an underworld is exactly the right description. The thing I've noticed is there's two prevailing narratives, I think. One of them is the tragic narrative of life is over, she will never recover, she will never have quality of life, um, a devastating narrative. And at the other extreme, there is a, this is all in your head. Um, if you just drank turmeric lattes, she'd be fine. If you find the right um, health professional, as though we haven't tried hundreds, um, she'll be fine. You are exaggerating it. And there's, there's very little middle ground. And trying to navigate that as a mum, let alone as my poor, beautiful daughter, navigating that herself as a child is, is one of the biggest difficulties of the experience. I wondered if you could speak to that. Yeah. So the most important thing about living with chronic illness is that we need to have a story. We need to change the story. As you've so beautifully outlined, these are apparently the options. It's all over and it doesn't get better till you get well or you just need to conquer this and push through, mm. neither of which serve us. Mm. The story that really actually works for us is to understand that there is a stripping down and that's why I use the mythology of Persephone, who's the Greek goddess of Queen of the Underworld. But actually, there's a myth that's 2,000 years older. It's a Sumerian myth that comes from um, when the world was filled with the great feminine myths. And that is the story of Inanna and her sister Ereshkigal. But the important part of whatever way you get to this story is to understand that the stripping down is a way in which you can come so deeply inwards and that when you can come inwards in a way where you can find your own foundation and floor, and you might need a little bit of help with that, then you can internally, emotionally, you can return and rise and engage with the world with clinicians without necessarily your physical body having to change. But it's the shaming of the story. It's a truly, absolutely rubbish story. And it's not just rubbish because it's not useful. It's rubbish because it's not true. You actually can have a life filled with love. You can have a life where you flourish. It will be a way in which it may not have looked to you before, but that doesn't change the fact that you can engage with your creativity, your intelligence, all in ways that work for you. And in fact, we've actually seen this. 
um, COVID has provided the best example of understanding for people. Like remote working, I worked remotely for seven years for a government department. Nobody was working remotely. I had to very strongly set the boundary and say, this is how my capacity is and this is the way I can work. So I stopped talking about what I can't do, started talking about what I can do. And that then was such an unusual thing. But now apparently everybody's gotten over it and remote working is entirely possible for everybody, mm-hmm. which changes the landscape for everyone. Well, and Michelle, so just quickly, as is now remote schooling, mm. um, which we've been able Indeed. to navigate because of COVID. But sorry, yeah. Joe, you've got a question. Well, so Michelle, you talk about um, changing the story for yourself in really powerful ways, but I imagine that's a daily practice. And I wonder what does it mean, practically speaking, as you go about living with chronic illness? So it is a daily practice that's very ingrained for me because I started for that position. And what that means practically is I am the decision maker in everything in relationship to my life, including my experience of chronic I am taking advice from clinicians, but that's their role is to advise me and I'm the decision maker. Mm. That's not to say they don't have expertise, but I am the decision maker. It means that I share what boundaries are with family and friends and it's simply, this is what I have capacity to do or with employers, this is what is possible and I'm following medical advice. And what I'm doing is sharing the expansion of that story with others so that I can get my very appropriate needs met so that I can be supported in ways that work for me and so that I'm never apologising for living with chronic illness. We do not need to apologise for living with chronic illness. I'm just about jumping out of my chair because I have to say, Joe, do you notice... Michelle's tone, Mm. right? What I'm really trying to teach my daughter is that when she, you know, can only go to a birthday party for an hour or something, which is actually remarkable that she can even go where she's been from. But to say without apology, to not go, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, can I come between six and seven and I'll bring a present and I'm really sorry, Mm. but I'll have to leave. But to go, I would love to come to your party, so I'm going to come at seven and mum's going to pick me up at eight. Beautiful. Full stop. No explanation because I don't want her developing this narrative that she has to apologise for how she exists in the world. It is not her fault that she has a chronic illness. And it's also the case that as women we're trained to apologise. If you see a woman, we bump into another, we bump into a person, we apologise. So for the person living with chronic illness, that is a double whammy and it's so culturally encoded. Mm. But you know, I've written for Women's Agenda. There's an article out there you can find that you don't need to apologise for chronic illness, as mm. well as heaps of resources on my Insta and mm. web page. Because the most important thing in that process is when you know that you are, you know, a whole human being, you're having an experience of chronic illness, mm. but it does not define you and it is not a fatal flaw in your moral character that nope. you're living with chronic illness then you've got somewhere to stand and speak from with ease. Yeah. It, it just destroys me that um, that it's not enough that you have to live with the chronic illness and all of the things that come with that, but you also have to process this shame. It, it just, you know, what can is I, wrong with can society? I, can I offer a theory and ask what Michelle thinks of this theory? So the theory that I have oh. developed over this time is two things. Friends and family, it, in a broad sense, can't come close to the big feelings. So the idea of the narrative that, oh, you know, she can no longer play netball or she might not go to uni when she's 18 or whatever, they can't come close to the big feelings, so they deny. Medical people, um, and I'm obviously being very, I'm generalising, but they can't cope with the fact that they can't control. So because they can't cure, they deny. Wonder what you think of that. So the whole thing is about this use of chronic and illness. When Mm. we talk about illness, the traditional idea is you get sick, you get a little worse, you get better. Yeah. So that's what everybody's trained to, which is different to disability. Like disability, we're like, oh, okay, that's something you're living with for life. But the chronic bit seems to make it optional. It's really Mm. such a juxtaposition. And so I always think it's like 
illness is part of my experience. I live in a biological, you know, I live in a body. We're all going to break down in our body. This is not actually something abnormal. And family and friends feel that there's this great loss and great grief of who you could have been. Yes. And they're very attached to that because they just want you to get better because you're ill, which is different to disability. Mm which is not the case because now chronic illness is well and truly included in disability. And for clinicians, um, and certainly there are many out there who are incredibly supportive, their job is to make you get well and we are changing that discussion about being supportive, which is why I talk about you are the decision maker. They are not driving this ship, you know, they're not the ones getting you well. You are the decision maker about what is supportive for you in this experience that you're having. I'd like to mention too one of the people, one of our lovely viewers slash listeners, um, Deb, uh, she comments that it's such a true story for the disabled too. She shares her boundaries and her abilities with friends, family and clients and doesn't apologise for what she cannot do. And the more people like Deb do that, the more we get used to doing that as well and we see it and you're modelling it. Good on you, Deb. I oh, love it. Um, so we are running over time as we always do. But Michelle, <laughs> I want you to just very quickly explain. You do this six-month course called Queen of the Underworld, which is just I love it. Look at that image, Queen of the Underworld. It's so empowering. What what do you guide people through in this course? So we basically take you through all the different facets of your life and we start with how do you navigate the unknown and uncertainty because that's a huge part of living with chronic illness. But there is a map and once you know how to navigate uncertainty and the unknown, then you've got a life skill. We look at the story of illness and we look at what's been inherited from family and friends and we need to unplug you from that ancestral story so that you can write your own. Then we look at what I think of as the archetypes of power, but basically getting you into the position so that you have the great boundaries, so that you can have the conversation with clinicians, so that you can have the conversation with work. And then we look at all of your resources, your creativity, your intelligence. And just to give you one very quick example, I um, I do work with women who are bed bound. I do work with women, you know, who are not out there able to go to the office as well as, as women who can. But I've got a beautiful young woman, very talented, who was a writer and lives with the same condition as Nell's daughter. And so she can't write because her body can't do that. But what we can do is support her to be a storyteller because she can tell stories. So her creativity can flourish in a whole new way. She's not locked out of life, but that is what we are doing through the process of the six-month program is just finding that way forward for you with all of your capacity as you are now. Oh, the pivot I'm before the pivot you. became a thing. It's, oh, it's... bless you, Michelle. I feel in, like obviously it's personal to me, mm. but I just feel so much better even Mm. just speaking to you honestly thank you for the work that you're doing it's really beautiful michelle Mm. and uh do check out michelle's uh podcast as well the pajama interviews which um i love that as an image writing it down writing it down um and it's all about just yeah i love taking back the power it's and 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 you know what is, what is and what is your story yes, i just think your that's story, really, really your body. powerful yep. um thank you so much michelle it's my been pleasure awesome to have thanks you. for having me good yeah. on you michelle uh, while we're talking about podcasts yes you've got, got a podcast one. i have got a new one it's called uh the single life of us with kate mulholland which some of you will know from two peas in a podcast both of us basically between us we were married and or de facto for like 52 years <laughs> and we both in the last couple of years become single and long story short, we're trying to challenge the narrative that it's all shit, uh-huh. right? Some of it's hard. Mm. Some of it's really hard and a lot of it's great. Mm. And, you know, if I do say so, we're pretty funny. <laughs> you, you are know? funny. We take a few uh, calls. You we do a bit of a laugh funny. here and there. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, get on to it, hey? Well, can I ask you the question mm. that Claire asked that we weren't able to ask yes. uh, Catherine because we ran out of time? Yeah. But she says, Did you, do you find the grief factor of separation uh, difficult? Oh, absolutely. Mm. I mean, I'm definitely not rose-coloured glasses. It's all fine. Um, But I do feel like there's a certain level of choice as well. Like I do find the grief is real, but I also choose not to exist only in grief. 
And grief is not linear. So you don't go, I'm feeling grief and then eventually I'll never feel it. On some level, I think I'll grieve um, the idea of that relationship at least for the rest of my life. Mm. But is my whole life grief? Absolutely not. I mean, Mm. to be perfectly frank, I'm you know, late forties, I'm chubby. I'm, you know, I'm not 20, you know, but I am loving life. I'm dating. I am enjoying having my own bedroom. I love choosing my own sheets. You know what I mean? Like I'm not sort of, I don't like the positive psychology movement. That's for another day. But I also do choose to focus on the positives out of it. I think myself, my ex-partner, my kids were actually all happier. Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's absolutely grief. I'm not saying there haven't been difficult moments and there'll continue to be, but there were difficult moments when I was in a relationship too. Sure. You know, you don't escape that. No, no. Well, thank you so much. It's been, I mean, I don't even know what time it is. We're so over, over time. It's only six minutes, Star. That's that's broad broad time. We broadened the time. (laughs) We control time. Yeah. Nelly, awesome (laughs) as always. Thank you, darling. And we'll be back with Broad Radio next week. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.